can do is, is pretend to be religious. I think if you look at Jesus' life and teaching, that the people he were most opposed to uh, vocally and in his teaching were people who were religious on the outside, but who had hardened hearts on the inside. You know, we don't gather here week after week, week simply uh, to present information. Um, we know that the Bible is information, but we know it's living and active. And when we gather here, it's about changed hearts. It's not just about changed thinking, although, you know, we understand changed thinking changes behavior, and, and, but it's the heart that is, is the heart of the matter. It's the heart that's important. It's the heart that God is after. And so not, we're not, it's not, Christianity isn't at its, at its core. It's not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. It's not a theology. It's not a religion. It's a lifestyle. It was, it was known as the way. It's a way to live. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, you know, Christianity is the lens through which he views the world. Everything is seen through that lens as a Christian. And so this morning what I'm going to talk about is really going to, is really going to tie into that. It's, you know, all sermons in some sense are, are teachings. And, 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 you know, when you're, when you're teaching, you know, there's a, there's a, there's, they're similar uh, sermon and a, and, a, and a teaching, but there's little differences. And so, you know, there's a lot of information here, but I think it's helpful information. And all the information is to focus our attention on what it is we're doing here. Why do we gather week after week? What is this all about, South Coast Community Church? And so the title is, is Living a Lent Lifestyle. And I'll, I'll tell you as we get further along what my alternative title was going to be. But for now, we're going to go with Living a Lent Lifestyle. Lent comes from the Anglo-Saxon word lengthen, which means spring. There's a, a word lengthen that's also tied in there, which ties into spring being longer days. And so that's all sort of tied in, but that's where the word comes from. It's a season of, of 40 days, not counting Sundays, which begins on Ash Wednesday and it ends on Holy Saturday. And supposedly the 40 days represents the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness Enduring the temptation of, of Satan and preparing to begin his ministry. And so the last week of Lent is Holy Week, beginning with, with Palm Sunday. It follows the New Testament story of Jesus' crucifixion, commemorated on Good Friday. And at the beginning of next week, the joyful celebration of Easter Sunday recalls, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this year it began on March 6th, it'll end on, on April 18th, and, and during this time many Christians commit to fasting, as well as giving up certain luxuries in order to replicate the account of Jesus' sacrifice of his journey into the desert for those 40 days. Many, many Christians also add a Lenten spiritual disciplines, such as reading a daily devotional, or praying through scriptures to draw themselves near to God. We're told that Lent is a time of, of repentance, of fasting, of preparation for the coming of Easter. That it's a time of, of self-examination and reflection. In the early church, there's evidence that Lent was a time, it was, it was talked about as a time to prepare new converts for baptism. A time where before they were baptized, they gave that some thought. And so today, Christians focus on their relationship with God, often choosing to give up something 
or to volunteer and give of themselves for others. Sundays in Lent to us are not counted in the 40 days because each Sunday represents a mini Easter. And so the reverent spirit of Lent is tempered with joyful anticipation of the resurrection. Now, for some denominations, this is particularly emphasized, this season of Lent. For many, it's an abomination if you eat meat during Lent. And sometimes if you've been somewhere and you've eaten meat and you've gotten, I've gotten yelled at before. I've gotten, I've gotten faces. I remember my grandmother yelled at me. I got a whole big thing. What, what, how, what was I thinking? Some of you know. Now, certainly none of these things mentioned, right? Fasting, the giving up of something, usually food, but doesn't have to be. Prayer, meditation, preparing oneself for the celebration of Easter. None of these are bad. In fact, they're all very good things. But if we forget the reason behind doing them, then what we do is we find ourselves falling back into the legalism and drawing away from the, love, the law of love that Jesus brought. And so this morning, I want us to explore this together, this idea of Lent, what it is, the history, and, and, and what we should do with it. The answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is maybe. A lot of times, the answer is wait. We don't like that answer to prayer, wait. Sometimes he ends his prayers in such a way that he wants to overwhelm us with his love. So Bill Hall got a call a second or two ago from the Oaks nursing home saying that uh, they're trying to get his dad in there. And he's in. So how about a round of applause? How about praising the Lord for an answered prayer? God bless you, brother. All right, let me pray for the sermon. Father, we're just so grateful for your goodness. Father, we're so grateful for your word, your spirit, that we're not left here to, to figure all this stuff out, God, but that you've given us direction and guidance. You've given us the example on your son, Jesus. You've given us a community to enjoy life with, God. And so, Father, we, we pray now that, that this sermon, God, that the heart of it comes through that the intention of it comes through, that anything that's not of you, God, be quickly forgotten. But the, the priority of, of a heart change, of a relationship with Jesus, come through as, as the most important thing, God. That's what you call us to. More of Christ and less of us. And so we pray that you have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to emphasize at the start that there is nothing at all wrong with tradition. There are many good traditions with many good reasons behind them. Now, sometimes there can be traditions that just, you know, kind of get a, you know, take on a life of their own and nobody knows why the, trans, uh, the, tra- the uh, tradition started. And so the reason for the tradition gets lost. But a lot of times there are good traditions and a lot of times there's good reasoning behind them. And so you'll see that I think that these spiritual principles that I talked about are things that we ought to apply. Now, you may or may not have noticed that we have not really stressed any of these, of these dates on the calendar during, during Lent. 
We usually have something for, for Good Friday. Of course, there's an Easter service. But for some churches, there is a Clean Monday, Shrove Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, Maundy Thursday. In Eastern churches, there's a Great Lent. In some churches, there's a Lazarus Saturday. There's also a variation between the 40 days or the 46 days on whether or not you count Sundays. But we've not really started a countdown or anything. We haven't really placed a lot of focus on Lent. And so some people may ask why. And so hopefully this sermon will bring some clarity. First, a little bit of history. When we look through the entire New Testament, there is not one ritual defined that is to be followed letter by letter. There is no description on how music should be done in church, what instruments should be used, what instruments shouldn't be used, what tempo. There's no description of how a worship gathering should be constructed. There's no specifics as how we are to witness to others. There's no description on what to wear besides being modestly dressed. We have this idea of religion versus a relationship. The law and what humans can do to the law versus the simple law of love. Now, this is not not just my opinion. This is not just my, my thinking. I want you to examine the scriptures. If in the New Testament you find a command given that's not naturally obeyed by keeping the two great commandments, then I'll take a look at it with you. That is to say that the heart of it all is love God with every fiber of your being, and as a result of that relationship, love others. And all the commands you find are naturally obeyed by keeping those great two commandments, which is why when Jesus gets into this exchange about what's the greatest commandment, he's basically going, you guys have missed it. It's not about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You've missed the whole thing. So you guys look to the scriptures for, for eternal life, but you, you, don't, you don't come to me. You're too prideful to come to me to see what's standing right in front of you. So now we have this sort of this broad spectrum with hundreds, if not thousands, of man-made rules on one side and the law of love for God and others on the opposite side. Lent isn't something that Jesus or the apostles or the early church ever observed. It's not found in the Bible. It's not really found in church history until uh, after a church council met in the early 4th century. In some churches I've heard of giving up candy or ice cream for Lent. Some people give up coffee, which is very hardcore. If you've given up coffee, that's, that is the spiritual, you're a ninja. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You've won. You, you, you beat Lent. <laughs> now, writings earlier in the 4th century had suggested a one or a two or sometimes a six-day fast prior to Easter Sunday. So basically, there is precedent of saying, look, Easter is a big deal, right? Easter is the biggest deal for us. That's the culmination of, of everything that proves Jesus was who he claimed to be. Paul says that that's the, that's the heart of everything. Is the, is the cross, is, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it would make sense that throughout the church that there's a time leading up to Easter where we prepare ourselves, where we give that some thought, where we maybe slow down from the chaos and we settle in to spiritually prepare ourselves. 
Then another custom was a 40-day fast starting the day that the early church selected as the day that Jesus was baptized. And so eventually this 40 days of Lent was associated with the 40 days prior to Easter. At first it wasn't really a fast. And so now the period becomes 46 days because Sundays are always a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and should always be a time of celebration. So now it's evolved to where we have the Lenten season beginning 46 days before Easter with Ash Wednesday. Ashes are are placed on the forehead of the Christian as a sign of mourning over the spiritual state of the individual. The ashes are supposed to be made by burning some of the the, uh, palms from the previous Palm Sunday. In Europe, they sprinkle ashes on your head. In the U.S., they make a cross on your forehead. And a person decides how long they keep the ashes on. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops says that there are two elements that must be adhered to. Abstinence from eating meat and fasting. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible does call us at least to fast. Abstinence from eating meat on Ash Wednesday and on all Fridays during Lent and on Good Friday, that's the rule. Can't be broken. And now there's all kinds of variations during Lent. Participants eat sparingly or give up a particular food or a habit. It's not uncommon for people to give up smoking during Lent. In fact, when I looked it up, it was one of the, the main things that people gave up during Lent was smoking. Or to stop watching television, eating candy. Some people decided they wouldn't tell lies during Lent, which I think is nice. (laughs) Who knows if they were honest about whether they... (laughs) But it's intended to be six weeks of self-discipline. And it it began as a way for Catholics to remind themselves the value of repentance. It's a good thing. We need to be reminded of the value of repentance. However, over the centuries, the Lenten observances have developed a a much more sacramental value. You see, many people believe, and if you talk to them, that giving up something for Lent is a way to attain God's blessing. That's a very religious way to think. The Bible teaches that grace cannot be earned. It's the gift of righteousness, Romans 5.17. Another issue I see is that the focus of the question always seems to be, what are you giving up for Lent? What did you give up for Lent? A very public discussion about how one is fasting or giving up meat or giving up this or that to make sure that everybody knows about it. Jesus taught fasting should be done discreetly. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. You see, the key is to focus on repenting of sin and on consecrating oneself to God. So the question isn't so much, what am I giving up for this season? Talking and focusing all on that brings us back to the religious system. It brings us back to this idea that we're earning God's favor. And so naturally what happens is then we become critical of those who don't participate in the ritual. But the spiritual question or focus should always be, 
How can I or how am I drawing closer to God? Lent should not be a time of boasting of one sacrifice. It should not be a time of trying to earn God's favor with hopes of increasing his love. God's love for you could not be greater than it already is. And so this is simply a warning that we must be careful with traditional things. That they are not simply repeated religious exercises that have lost their meaning and purpose. With all that we do, we need to guard against falling back into empty religious exercises. So we see on one end of the spectrum, there's a legalism, Exodus 28 through 10. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. Matthew 12, 1 and 2. One time Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grains and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Can you imagine just how many times Jesus must have shook his head like his ministry just been like? Matthew 12, 9 through 10, Jesus went over to their synagogue when he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Of course, they were hoping he would say yes so they can bring charges against him. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the law, the law of godly love. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We've preached before just on that. All of Christianity, all of the, all of the rituals, all of the behaviors, all the behaviors are found under those two things. And so when, when we look at the, the letter of the law, but we miss the spirit of the law, we're just religious people. And the reason this is so important is because it's so easy to fall into a system of religiosity. It's so easy to think that because we're doing religious stuff that we have a relationship with Jesus. But when Jesus says to the people who said, well, we prophesied in your name and we did miracles and healings in your name and we had the t-shirt and we had the bumper sticker and we had the little starfish on everything and, and we said Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time and we went to Christian concerts and Jesus is like, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. We weren't intimate. We weren't close. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. You don't have to go to the Greek. You don't have to get a concordance. I'll say it again. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation. Obligation. Not suggestion, not good idea. You're obliged to. It's a commandment to love one another. And if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. But the commandments say you must, not, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and such other commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. 
Colossians 2, 20 and 23. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. As you read through the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus and the letters to the churches, you notice something very different. You notice in all of these, every command on how to treat others, on how to relate with God, passes directly through the focal point of godly love. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love one another as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Are there any rituals commanded or even suggested for the church in the Bible? What about baptism? We know it called to baptize. But the rituals are just if you're saved, you should be baptized. It doesn't say when or where. About communion? No details on how it should be prepared or how the element should be distributed or when you should observe it. Just this. Do this in remembrance of me. You know what the overarching principle is remember what Jesus did. You know how many times we do all this religious stuff and we don't remember the focal point? The reason we're doing whatever we did? We just do it because we've always done it. What if Jesus had made a ritual out of communion? What if he had said, make the bread exactly this way and make sure the fruit of the vine is from only this type of grape and it can be only served under these exact same circumstances? You know what would happen? then anyone could have fulfilled the requirements of the law by observing the letter of the law. But you know what Jesus did and he does all throughout scripture? He makes it a matter of the heart. Because remembrance of Jesus is not just a remembrance of his life, but it's a remembrance of the change he made in your life when his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary made a way for you and I to be saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you not to observe Lent. That's not what I'm saying at all. The choice to observe Lent is a personal one. But please understand, the whole point is to focus your heart and mind on Jesus during the journey to Easter. There's no requirement biblically to observe Lent, nor should you feel guilted into participating. There are millions of Christians around the world who observe Lent each year, and there are millions who don't. Now, here's the thing. I am not particularly concerned with whether or not you participate in the 40 days of Lent or not. What I am concerned with deeply is that you see Christianity, what was called the way, not as a religious system, not as something that's all wrapped up in in doing certain things a certain way, but that it's a way to live your life in relationship with Jesus. That you don't reduce it to a system. Your spiritual life should be a lifestyle, not a religious exercise. 
Now, you will be amazed what happens when you devote a part of each day to reflecting on being in the presence of Jesus, undistracted. Or as being faithful to reading God's word. You'll be amazed at the difference in your life when you try not to overindulge yourself, whether that be shopping or food or hours of TV. And instead you find out that maybe you give some of that time to helping someone else instead. You'll be amazed when you take time to reflect on what Jesus went through as he was tempted before his ministry. It will give you great appreciation and humility when you begin to ponder what Jesus went through on the cross for you and for me. And it's life-changing when you allow the truth of Easter that Jesus Christ is risen and alive change you forever. That every day as a Christian is a celebration of a new life. That every day he gives us the gifts of grace and mercy. And so if you choose to celebrate Lent, I beg you, let it be a matter of the heart. But the idea that if we take a few weeks, that if we give up something and we tell everyone about what we're giving up, and we criticize others who don't give up that same stuff or as much as we did, and that we think God is pleased with our sacrifice, all the while not waiting until we can eat or drink or do whatever it is we gave up, Forgetting to really meditate on the love of God and to use the time to be with him. To draw closer to God. We've missed the entire point. I've heard hundreds of people talk about what they gave up for Lent. I've never heard a single person talk about why they gave it up. Or what they were doing to draw into a deeper relationship with Jesus. So I ask you, is your understanding and your practice of Lent Religion or a relationship? You see, I was going to title this message, I'm giving up Lent for Lent. But that's really not what I'm trying to say. What I'm really trying to say is that Lent is a lifestyle. That this should represent a pattern in all of believers' lives. To constantly consider where our time and money go. To always be aware and attentive to others instead of ourselves. To live in a constant cycle where we repent and we seek closer relationships with God. To set aside time to read and to pray. To never think that the spiritual exercises we do are meant to be compared to other people. To never spend our time bragging about what we gave up for God as though there's anything that can come close to equaling or anything that's adequate when you consider the cross. If you want to celebrate Lent, that's okay. Do that. I'll encourage you to do it. But consider some things that God wants you to give up, not just for 40 days, but forever. And I can email you these notes. You don't have to worry about trying to write all this down, because I'm going to go quick. How about giving up control? Genesis 2, 15 through 17 Genesis 3, Matthew 4, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, thinking they knew better than him, with disastrous consequences. While being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus denied his own impulses, and he followed God's will. 
The Christian life begins where we give up our control, our perceived control over our lives. What God gave us, he wants back. Our will. In the modern world where we're used to having control over so many things, we often fail to seek God's will for our lives. We continue, even as Christians, to call all of the shots ourselves. You know what God wants you to give up? You know what God wants me to give up? Control. God wants us to deny ourselves and give him the final say when we're charting out the course of our lives. God wants us to give up expectations. Genesis 12, John 3. Abraham followed God's call to leave his homeland and to travel to the place God promised his descendants, even though he didn't know how it would work out. Maybe God's calling you to do something and you can't see why and you can't see how it makes sense. And so, you know, you have these expectations. You have this idea of how things ought to go. Maybe God's calling you to give up your idea of how things got to go. Maybe his idea of how things ought to go in your life are better than your idea of how things ought to go in your life. See, I keep saying this over and over again. I was with Max and I, we were just talking and I said, and he said, that's, keep saying that, that's good. But I said, we've got to move from trusting God for our salvation to trusting God with our lives. Because we can trust him for our salvation. I put my trust and faith in Jesus to save me on the cross. But then we don't want to trust him with the day-to-day decisions. Because we don't know how to give up control. Because we really lack faith. Or because we have expectations that may not line up with what God would have us do. When Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, he has a hard time understanding what God's grace is really about. Because he's used to thinking in terms of religious structure. Some of us have a real difficult time with church and with, and with the message of Jesus because we're still thinking in terms of religious structure. That's why it's so important that we stop that thinking. Because sometimes we can't know what's going on and what's coming next. God doesn't guarantee us any particular future circumstances. He doesn't guarantee us, despite what some may preach, uninterrupted prosperity. What he does promise is that he will be with us through whatever circumstance we face. And that he will work with us to make the best result out of even the most hopeless of situations. How about giving up a superiority? John 4 5 through 42, Jesus broke all kinds of social conventions by speaking to a woman in public. A Samaritan woman, no less, whose own life was such a mess that could have really messed up Jesus' reputation as a holy man. But Jesus brought his message of grace and freedom to the woman, knowing in that her humility, she would actually hear and respond while the religious people were too busy and too self-important to hear. Are you judging those others that come and that maybe don't look like you or don't act like you? Maybe they're embarrassing to be around. But they have a desperation and need for Jesus. God doesn't care about the artificial lines we draw to make ourselves feel superior to other people. If we can let go of our status symbols and our judgmental attitudes, then we too can hear Jesus call more clearly and we can respond more faithfully. 
How about giving up enemies? You know, you love your enemy, they're no longer your enemy. Luke 19, 37 through 44. Loving our enemies can sometimes feel an ideal, idealistic notion. As, instant, as, as idealistic a notion as instantaneous world peace. Like, yeah, sure, love your enemies. Like, that's ever going to happen. But Jesus showed us that caring, even for those who persecute you, is a real actionable mandate. He shows us that it's an example that we can actually, actually follow. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because the people following him misunderstood his message to be about peace in heaven instead of on earth. We call Jesus the Prince of Peace, but do we believe and live like peace is possible in our world today? Do you do more to cause conflict or to solve it? How many enemies are on your list? How about you give up your life Ezekiel 37, John 11, God creates life from death, nothingness, hopelessness. The Bible is full of such paradoxes, and Jesus tells us that those who try to keep their lives will die. But those who give up their lives for others will live. You see, we're used to thinking in terms of fixed beginning and ends, but the story of Jesus calls us to throw away categories and to embrace God's larger vision of eternal life that begins here and now. Eternal life that begins here and now. How about giving up popularity? We see on Palm Sunday in Matthew 21 where to welcome Jesus God as he entered Jerusalem. Hosanna, the people cried, hailing him as an honored king. The crowds loved Jesus on Palm Sunday. He was popular then, but a few days later a different crowd was calling for his death and for the release of a murderer. Popularity and acclaim in the eyes of others is fleeting. And if we put our faith in it, we will be disappointed. Instead, God calls us to put our faith in his unending love and grace. Something that will never go away and sustain us through the times when others abandon us. How about giving up death as we see on Easter Sunday? Jesus rising on Easter morning was more than a showy miracle to shock and awe his attackers and followers. You see, when Jesus rose again, he turned the entire order of the universe on its head. And Jesus showed us through the resurrection that death doesn't have the last word, that God has the last word. And that word is life. We're told that suffering and death will end, but God's kingdom lasts forever. And so the Lenten season is a time when many Christians observe a period of fasting, of repentance, of moderation, of self-denial, of spiritual discipline. The purpose is to set aside time for reflecting on Jesus Christ, reflecting on his suffering and his sacrifice, on his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But I submit to you that this is not just for a period of 40 days where we struggle to do it perfectly and then we can't wait to fall back to our regular lives. Instead, this is how we ought to strive to live daily with self-control and discipline and a reflection of Jesus and what he has done. And when we do fail and stumble, 
We know that we can count on his grace and mercy. And we repent and we walk again with obedience. Because you see, the sacrifice is always about restoring the relationship. It is always the heart that God is after. Nothing crushing, crushes another person's heart more when they're, than when we're try, they're trying to do something they think is going to please God, some religious exercise, and you, you, you crush them because they're not doing it as well as you. That's not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the Pharisees. 1 Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Proverbs 21, 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Still today, in our human attempts to look good in serving God, there's a temptation to perform certain religious duties rather than to truly obey God. Every good activity, such as giving money to charity, attending church services, or praying and fasting in public, are not as important to God as obeying his commands. In John 14, 15, he says this very simply. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just like the early Christians felt that the importance of Easter called for special preparation, so do we. And as we get closer to this day, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, the last week of Lent leading up to Easter. And it's important that as we do things, we remember, we understand the history, what it is that happened on these days. So we do certain things to help remember. On Palm Sunday, Christians everywhere remember Jesus' triumphant arrival in Jerusalem. And so we typically pass out palm branches, symbolic of the ones laid at Jesus' feet as he rode into the city. Holy Wednesday commemorates Judas Iscariot's intent to betray Jesus. Reflect and think of that. Maundy Thursday commemorates the Last Supper Jesus shared with his disciples in which he predicts his betrayal by the following denial by Peter. Good Friday is the day Christians around the world remember Jesus' crucifixion and his burial. And then the biggest day of the Christian calendar, Easter Sunday, the day Jesus rose from his tomb, where Paul rightly says the entire importance of the Christian message hinges on the truth of the resurrection. He says if, if, if it's not true, we have people to be most pitied. People should feel sorry for us. Mark 16, 5 and 6, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. You see, because we live with the risen Christ, every day is an Easter. Every day we arise dead to sin and alive in Christ. So I'm giving up Lent this year for Lent, at least the way too many people in the church have applied it and the way I in the past has understood it. The Lord isn't interested in what we can give up for 40 days and quickly return to. How many times have you given up the same things over and over again? 
How many times do you think you need to make the same sacrifices to please God when there's been one wholly sufficient sacrifice? As the years go by, have you drawn any closer to the Lord? You see, what Jesus is most interested in is me and you giving up the sins in our lives, which will make Easter more joyous every single day. He wants us to reflect upon what he did for us. There's a story of a young boy who built a toy sailboat. He would take it to the park every day and sail it on a little pond. Because he loved this boat, he was careful not to let it go too far out of the pond. But then the inevitable day came when the boat sailed beyond his reach. He'd gotten himself soaked trying to retrieve it, but the boat had gone out too far for the boy to rescue it. He went home heartsick, expecting he would never see the boat again. But a few weeks later, he was walking through town when he saw his boat in the window at a little second-hand shop. He was so excited, and he went into the store and said, You found my boat. I made that boat. It's mine, and I'd like to have it back. But the man behind the counter said, Well, maybe it was your boat at one time, but now it's my boat. And if you want it, it will cost you. You'll have to pay me $20. $20, said the boy. It seemed like an enormous amount, impossible. He had no idea how he could ever come up with that much money. And so he started to hang his head low and walk out of the store. But the owner said, if you'd like to earn a little money, I could use some help around here. And so it was agreed. And every week the young boy would come and he would sweep the floors and tidy up the shelves. And in return, the owner would give him a few dollars. Finally, the day came when he brought his pocket full of crumbled bills to the store and bought back his boat and he was thrilled. And as he was walking out of the store holding his boat like a, like a long-lost friend, he said, you're mine twice now. You were mine the first time because I made you, and now you're mine again because I bought you. You see, God wants us to remember that not only did he make us and create us, but he redeemed us. He bought us. And we are his because he created us, and we are his because he bought us out of slavery to sin that he created us and he redeemed us. And so there are people who do all kinds of religious exercises and they become really good at doing those religious exercises but they never meet Jesus. They go through their entire lives never knowing who he is. More ritual and religious exercise is not what the world needs. An Easter encounter with the risen Jesus who paid the price for their sins, is what changes the lives of people forever. So instead of giving up something for Lent, let's add something that will improve our relationship with Jesus this year. Our challenge, not just during Lent, but always, is to learn to focus more on Christ and less on the noise around us. To try to shed as many distractions as possible. With all our labor and time-saving devices, Why do we feel more and more flooded by our culture? How much of our time is consumed with a tsunami of unimportant information streaming and screaming from our televisions, our cell phones, our computers, from Facebook and Twitter, from our email providers constantly spamming us with interrupting messages? Because of these ever-increasing complexities, we need to find more time to focus more and more on Him. 
And so the question each of us need to ask this morning is how are we preparing to meet the resurrected Lord of Easter? We do look forward to a new heaven and a new earth and eternity with him. But until then, because we love him, we strive to obey his commands and we look to live a Lent lifestyle. Now ask the worship team to come up as we close with one last song. If you just stand.